today's episode of the New Era Property Podcast, where we discuss all things property and hopefully share some tips and ideas on what to do and what not to do. So my name is Lorraine Gannon and with me today I have Sam Lawson. So Sam, what do we have on the cards for today? Thanks very much, Lorraine. So today we're going to be talking about selective licensing. And we're going to be looking at an example of this in action that's been in the news this last week or two. Um, one of the questions we'll be asking is, is this just a money grab at landlords or do these schemes actually make real improvements to the quality of rental stock as they're intended to? So we're talking about that. Uh, we're going to be looking at a fantastic resource to help you run your property business. Something that's going to save you time and money in all your property and tenant management duties because we always like to share a resource. That's our little thank you back to you. And finally, we're going to be looking at some of the most common questions that we get asked from people that are new to property investing, which is going to make our theme this week, where on earth do I start? So all those questions for new landlords coming in, going where on earth do I start? We're going to be tackling some of those today. So it sounds like we've got plenty to be talking about. So what I'd like to do, if it's okay with you, is dive right in to our news story, because I think this is one that really, really caught my eye. And I think you'll have a bit of a chuckle about this. And I'm sure you've got some thoughts to say on this one, because this is a really interesting story. So the story itself comes from Landlord Zone and the headline is Council's slow admin mean landlord licenses take. I'm going to not tell you the rest of the headline actually. I'm going to pause just there. I'm going to dive into the article. How long do you think it takes them to process the selective license applications they've received? I'll settle that thought there. I'll come back to what the headline is in a moment. Let me read the article and it'll make sense. So Housing bosses told the Liverpool Landlord Forum that since the scheme went live on the 1st of April 2022, they've only granted 104 licences, despite receiving a whopping 31,000 applications, meaning it would take the local authority, did you get your guess in? 148 years to process them all at the current run rate. So since April this year, they've granted 104 licenses, and at that rate, it's gonna take them 148 years to grant the remainder of the licenses. So according to Freedom of Information data, between 2018-2019, so the year 2018-19, and the year 2020-2021, out of 103 civil penalties issued to Liverpool's private landlords, 89 of them, were for offences related to the previous selective licensing scheme. No penalties were issued for failing to comply with a property improvement notice, a banning order, or a notice that a property was overcrowded, and only two penalties were issued for breaches of management regulations and shared housing. This suggests that the council's civil penalty strategy has served only to tackle administrative issues, such as a failure to hold a license rather than improving property conditions themselves, says NRLA Chief Executive Ben Beadle. He adds, if Liverpool Council really believes licensing is so key to ensuring properties are safe, it begs the question why it takes them so long to process an application for them. So let me start with a quick question for Lorraine here to open this conversation up. Um, this one, it, I nearly fell off my seat when I when I heard the statistics on this. So 103, 104 licenses granted out of a, out of 31,000 applications. Um, I suppose the first question is, what is selective licensing and what's it there to achieve? Is it an effective tool for doing so? Good question. So, I mean, selective licensing is about the council putting in extra restrictions over and above the mandatory guidance from the HMO regulations. So what does all that mean? So HMOs, houses um, in multiple occupation, 
you need to have certain certain requirements, certain safety, certain space requirements. Um, there are lots of rules around HMOs, which are not to be afraid of if you're just starting out. It's actually to be embraced because if you, you know your stuff, if you learn all about it, um, then you can be ahead of your competition, that you can actually have a sort of a strategic advantage. Now, additional licensing um, has sort of been introduced by local councils to make sure that they actually... Um, they ha they have some control or further control over their housing stock, and, and, and normally they do this um, in, within the housing departments to try and create safer, um, um, less rogue landlords, that sort of thing. But I, I think I don't know, Sam. What strikes me about this article is, it, it, to begin with, it starts off of quite amusing, doesn't it? It feels like a sort of an admin failure and, and a, a complete oversight of of local government. But then you. I mean, those comments um, that were in there are spot on, aren't they? That actually um, what they've introduced is a paperwork exercise is is actually not delivering any of the health and safety or any kind of housing improvements that it originally came in for. So I think that's the saddest part about this. What do you think? No, I completely agree. So just to be clear for anybody listening, just to say they're not confusing, HMO mandatory licensing, that's a thing, of course, but the selective license is for anyone who rents a property, and this is for the Liverpool City Council, in any of the 16 wards of the city, they've got to have this license. Now, let me just put some numbers to this for the fees. I just looked this up because I was kind of curious to see what this means. Now, the way you typically go for a license application is you pay an initial fee at the time of application, and then after the property's been inspected and they're going to issue your license, you pay the final payment. Now, the full property license fee, if you're paying it without any discounts or exemptions, because they do give, for example, a cheaper rate if you're renewing, a cheaper rate if you're an EPC or above. So the initial payment for a full property license fee is £181.50. And the final payment is £368.50. So the total license is £550. They've got 31,000 of these applications in. So it is sad. The reality is, is that prior to seeing news stories like this coming up where I've seen selective license schemes not work, and this isn't the first place we've seen similar issues in the country. It's worth saying Liverpool aren't... I don't want to say they're not unique, but they're, they're certainly not the only ones that have had challenges in implementing a selective licensing scheme. And that's a maybe a slightly separate conversation but the idea i was really behind it i really really like the idea that actually all rental property gets inspected it's assessed against hhsrs to meet which is the health hh the health and safety rating system is the end of it what's the first bit the housing health and safety rating system <laughs> which carries i think it's 29 categories for rating the quality of accommodation and it's to identify hazards it's making sure that accommodation is suitable and a good quality and it's safe i love all of that i'm really really pro all of that and actually i don't mind paying a small fee every i don't know five years to make sure that the council can put a stamp on it and say yes you're compliant it's up to date and it's safe I don't think any of these things are bad, but then you see a scheme administered like this. As a landlord who we're, we suffer against, for example, the Section 21 tax, Section 24 tax, sorry, uh, the change in capital gains, the potentially getting rid of Section 21 evictions. If we're increasingly kind of taxed and, and charged, and we feel a little bit like we end up becoming cash cows a bit. And what I kind of find is that when you see a scheme administered like this, where they've taken presumably 31,000 initial fee payments, uh, the best part of £200 a piece, and they've issued 104 licenses. 
it just stings. And that's the problem is that if something's done in really good faith with the right intention, I think landlords and councils can collaborate to improve the quality of rental stock. But when it's not administered over the course of, I mean, this is December now, so that's eight months they've had, and they've issued 104 licenses. Are they understaffed? They're certainly not underfunded. So it's, no. it's, to me, that's kind of the thing that really jumps out to me about it. I think ultimately it's the tenants that suffer with this. I mean, I, I know yeah. that um, there is... Oh, sorry, Sam. I know there is a, a, a rule with managing public money where any money generated has to be spent. So you can't essentially make a profit out of these situations. So, I mean, whether they've made 5.6 million or, or have they've collected all that money in, I don't know, or whether they processed it. But it's still the principle of gearing up to do this. Um, and, I, and like I said before, I just feel it's really sad that actually they've not been able to implement something that, like you say, you're, you're all for having higher standards of accommodation, um, of improving conditions that, that tenants have and, and making sure that your, the properties are safe and, and kept well for tenants, it, you know, all for it. Absolutely. But to sort of misguide that that funding and that and that process is, is kind of is shocking, really. No, it is. And also the other side of it, of course, is that 31,000 applications, and to kind of play devil's advocate a little bit here, that's an insane amount of work. The reality is, is that when we do our license application, it takes me probably the best part of an hour, hour and a half to fill out a HMO license application, which I appreciate is different, but it's multiple pages. There's declarations to sign that all have to be read properly. You have to upload a variety of different documents, gas safety, your fire plans, etc. It takes me time to do that. Now, if I was on the other end of that receiving 31,000 applications, that's an inordinate amount of work. But I can't help but wonder, does this tie up council resource and actually prevent local environmental health officers and, and housing officers from going out and inspecting and helping tenants that are in demand and actually in need? So that's the other side of it is, are they kind of introducing a scheme here that's maybe, in principle, I agree with the ideas behind why they're doing it, but... Is it a bit of a vanity scheme so we can say, look what we're doing, rather than actually going out there and doing the work of, of enforcing on rogue landlords and, and working on improving the quality of stock? And that's kind of what makes me a little bit uncomfortable when I look at those numbers. And you can't help the fact that 31,000 applications at £200 an application is, what's that going to be, £6 million? Yeah, I, I tapped it into the calculator. I think it's £5.6 million. So I, it was 181.50 times 31,000. Something like and That is on the full app. So, you know, if you've got a good EPC or you've got a renewal, it's, it's cheaper. But still, if we were to say somewhere between three to five and a half million pounds, and they've issued 104 licenses this year. Yeah. And presumably they're still accepting new applications as well, I imagine. I don't think it warrants well for the whole, you know, complying to deadlines of getting your, you know, all these landlords have gone to the pot. The process of putting their applications in on time um you know we, we all have to be compliant with government legislation um and and in some respect we get the service back i don't think it, it kind of it doesn't feel like a fair and robust um give and take you know i think actually if if we are entering into additional regulation then the government should feel should be able to step up to that um, if they are imposing those deadlines, or at least you know admit um, or come up with a plan to solve it. I think is where I'm at. I'm I'm getting more annoyed about this. <laughs> <laughs> 
and, and, and this is the whole point though, isn't it? It is, it is frustrating. I think that's a fantastic place for us to round out our comments on it. But what I'm going to ask people to do is I'd love to know your thoughts on this. Do you have, do you, firstly, do you see any value in selective licensing? Does it feel like a blatant money grab to you or are they providing a valuable service? Because I'm kind of emotionally torn on this one personally. And do you believe your council could keep up with this kind of demand based on what you're seeing from services at the moment? I'd love to know. So if you can pop it in the comments on depending on what platform you're watching it on. If not, come find us on social media and let us know. I'd love to love to connect with people and see some comments from you about what your thoughts are on this. And we can hopefully come back to some of those comments in the future. Um, that's fantastic. So thank you so much for that, Lorraine. Really appreciate this. This is a fascinating story. I think it's something we need to keep a bit of an eye on moving forward because there's every possibility we'll see similar schemes rolled out nationwide. So we're going to move on to today's value give, which is what we call the section where we try our best to give you guys some value and help you with any questions that you might be facing. Okay, so for today's podcast episode, we're going to mix up a little bit. And rather than have like a hot topic, we've given it a theme today. And the theme today is where on earth do I start? So what we're going to do is do some quick fire questions about the kind of things that we get asked all the time from new landlords or landlords that maybe have got one or two properties and they're looking to scale, but they don't really know where to go with this. So we're calling it, where on earth do I start? And that's going to be the theme for today's podcast. So what we're going to do, I'm going to ask Lorraine the questions first of all, and then we'll swap seats and she'll put me on the hot seat and ask me some questions. We're going to try to keep our answers to one minute to keep this quick fire and moving forward. So we do little short snaps of value here, hopefully. So Lorraine, I'm going to pop you on the hot seat first of all with some questions then. Quick fire question of number Number one for you is, is it better for me to invest in my personal name or as a limited company? Great question. So um, I am going to answer this as if it was me today. So you will need to check with your accountant if this is relevant to you. But if I was starting out today and I didn't have any property um, and I had a mission to go and create a property business and I wanted to probably do at least three or four properties in my property investing career, I would definitely set up a limited company. Um, Why? Because it means that you can control your tax position more successfully. So that means um, if you earn profits in your own name, um, you have to take them when they arrive. In a limited company, you do have to pay corporation tax, but you don't necessarily have to take the cash out of that business and into your own name um, until you want it or you need it. So if you're on a mission to sort of grow a a pot of money through perhaps um, flipping property, or if you're growing a portfolio to buy and hold, then um, a limited company at the moment for me would be the best solution to do that. One minute? Was it one minute? Okay, fantastic. Really like it. Yeah, it was, it was pretty much bang on one minute. I've said I've got the little go. clock in the corner, so I'm watching it. Nailed it. First one done. Okay, so another question get asked all the time, and actually we see people fall foul of this quite a lot, is do I need to use a buy-to-let mortgage slash HMO mortgage, let's say, when residential rates are so much cheaper? Ooh, it's tempting, isn't it? But um, you'll get caught out, so don't do it. It's it's not what um, you're. You need to make sure that you you have the right product. Gone are the days when you could skip around this or or um, even get away with it. And you don't want to get away with it. You want to be able to sleep safe at sound at night, knowing that you have a buy to let mortgage, that you have a buy let buy to let product. Um, you don't want to tarnish your copy as it were with any kind of um 
um, blots on there. You know, you want to make sure that you have a good relationship with your with your mortgage company so that you can build a portfolio for the future and become a professional landlord. So definitely do it the right way. Get a buy to let mortgage, do it properly um, and sleep safe at night. Wonderful stuff. I think we're clicking to this one minute really well there. It's about 45 <laughs> seconds. Um, okay, so moving on then. This is another one that pops up because I think we talk a lot about compliance on the podcast and anybody that spoke to yourself or me or Rick or any of the New Era team will know that we're very compliance heavy. So this is quite a common question we get again, which is what's the easiest way for me to stay on top of all my document renewals, such as my gas safety, my EICRs, my insurance, etc.? Okay, so, I mean, the traditional landlord would look at things like spreadsheets and that sort of thing, and that and that's kind of the typical um, res- resource that most landlords would use. They'd start a spreadsheet, um, but it's really ineffective. So I would say, actually, um, we have written a system called GoTenant. So GoTenant Property Management um, Software is owned by um, by. Um, Rick and myself, you know, we, and the New Era family. So we we have written Go Tenants so that you can stay on top of your document renewals. It's all in one place. It's great if you're doing um, a new HMO license. You can go and download all your documents and then um, send them all off. You can set reminders so that all of your documents uh, are are sent to you and remind you that you need to renew them. You can have them all in one place. You can easily flick through and make sure that you've got everything. Um, I also store other stuff on there like um, building regs, um, all sort of property documentation, sometimes planning permissions, uh, asbestos reports, all the kind of things that, um, you know, you lose and you can't find when you want to put your hand on it. So that is my my go to with that, you know, always sending stuff to go tenant to save and keep in one safe place. Is that a minute? Often, oh, yeah, no, that was, that was a minute as well. Thanks very much, Lorraine. I love the fact with GoTenant that it sends me emails to remind me that in one month's time my gas safety is going to go, and then it emails me again when it's two weeks, and then again when it's one week. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. Thank you so much for that. So, another really common one again, I'm, this is from the perspective of a new landlord, somebody who's maybe new to it, or they've got one or two properties. Do I, slash, maybe should I use a managing agent for my properties? So definitely a managing, um, sorry, definitely not. You don't have to use a managing agent. Um, I think actually it's one of the skills that we teach every property investor who comes on our training programs. You should be able to manage your own properties yourself. Nobody looks after your money the way that you do. So if you're running a property business and you're going to be the most effective at doing that you're going to make sure that um, you're earning the most amount of money saving the cost in the right place somebody else a managing agent isn't necessarily going to do that Um, a managing agent also will not always err on the side of caution so if you've got that they will of course um, vet and and look at a tenant but at the end of the day if the tenant passes all of their tests um, then they may They may put that tenant in, even perhaps if they've got some niggles or concerns, whereas you don't have to. You can decide on that process. So I I would sort of say definitely learn how to be your own managing agent, how to do it yourself. Um, And if you don't have the time to do that, then you could employ a managing agent. But it does help you manage the agent if you know how to be a managing agent. Um, So 
often you know you can just double check that things are being done compliance issues are being sorted you you know about things like right to rent checks are they being done um you know all these sort of things that you can kind of slip away from you if um if you're not aware so i would definitely learn how to even if you don't have the time and then you can um perhaps at some future point in time take that back as well but it's also cost effective so it's great Great to be your own agent, your own person, self-manage. Yeah, I love that, Lorraine, I really do. So I think the, the big takeaway for me there is that then if you learn how to do it, then you're kind of using a managing agent on the basis that you're choosing to rather than that you have to. Yeah. And that kind of empowers you, which I really, really like. Really, really like that. Okay, awesome. So look, that was four quick fire questions there from Lorraine. We're going to swap over now. And Lorraine's going to put me on the hot seat with some similar questions. And we'll see how we go. Um, will I keep to a minute? Who knows? Who Tune knows? in to find out. <laughs> yeah, so Sam, your first question. I feel like I'm on mastermind. So how much time does it take you to look after a rental property? Okay, so for me, this answer varies, but a single boring, I say boring, sorry, vanilla, buy to let, straightforward, the most time that we're working on those properties is during refurbishment and tenanting it. But once the tenant's in there, realistically, we're applying to routine maintenance, inspections, and um, reconciling rents. It's probably less than an hour a month on average, maybe even less than half an hour. HMOs get a bit of a bad rap with this. And again, when we're refurbishing or we're first tenting the property, we might have multiple empty rooms. We'll be working quite hard on that. That could be, you know, six, seven, eight hours a week. But once it's fully tenanted, a well-run and well-managed HMO should really only take a few hours a month, in my opinion, to, to manage. And you tend to find that if you're spending more than that, it's because there's underlying issues and a bigger focus there might be why those issues are there so it's not as burdensome as people think i think people have this idea that hmos take tens of hours every week rather than just a few hours every month but i think well set up and well managed this should be a matter of a few hours every month because you can outsource a lot of the work as well Mm, great answer i think uh, the thing with hmos as well is actually you get to pop in and see your property if you are self-managing and you're looking after it yourself so that's a great bonus because sometimes you can't always do that with um with single lets so you can kind of go in do the safety checks and you just get a, a little, little look around don't you so the next question mm. should i be looking to invest close to home or further afield when property is cheaper and yields are higher so the, i think the question here is um, do you go where the yield's highest, even if it's a long way from home? Yeah, so this maybe is more relevant to those of you guys in the southern half of the country. And I call this yield chasing. So yield chasing, I understand the motivation. You look at your area and you get a certain yield and therefore a certain return on investment. You look half an hour north of where you are and it's a bit cheaper and you get a slightly better yield. You look an hour north of there and it's a bit cheaper and a slightly better yield. And before you know it, you're investing somewhere that you have no knowledge of, no experience of, you're not remotely or geographically located near it. You're now having to use a manager. And you start to not necessarily understand the communities that you're investing in. So for me personally, I really, really like to invest close to where I live or where I've spent significant parts of my life. And the reason for that is that I would always say that there's a bit of a secret source in local expert knowledge. And by local expert knowledge, I'm not talking about the stuff that you can get from spreadsheets or by due diligence online. I'm talking about learn and lived experience. You know, reputations that certain areas have. We have certain streets in my town that 
I wouldn't invest on one side or one end of it, but the other end or the other side of the same street, I'd gladly invest in. And that's not something you're going to be able to find in a spreadsheet or a table online. That comes from learned and lived experience. So for me, I would say a good rule of thumb would be to invest within half hour, 45 minutes maximum of where you live. And ideally places where you've either got lots of friends and family or you've got your own experience of the area. Mm, Great, great thoughts there. Definitely agree with that. So what's more important? Um, Often people are worried about whether they're going to get capital growth or whether they're going to get cash flow. What do you think? Um, hmm. It's a great question, this. And there's no clear one right answer, as I see, because for me, investing in property, they go hand in hand. But assuming you're carrying some kind of finance on the property, you're buying a mortgage or a bridge or an investor fund or whatever it might be, Cash flow will have to come first before capital growth. Cash flow month to month is, in my opinion, one of your biggest insulators of risk. Because when utility bills rise, as they have for our HMO portfolio, our cash flow is what's insulated us from that. When interest rates rise, our cash flow is what insulates us from that. So cash flow, I see that as, yes, it's nice to have, and it gives us some income, that's wonderful, and it does allow us to live a certain lifestyle. But it also buffers our investment against some of the market forces. By contrast, capital growth is a bit of a mystic meg type approach to investing and i can't tell you what the capital growth in my investment area is going to be over the next 5 10 15 20 years and if i'm really honest i wouldn't trust anybody who said they absolutely could tell you the capital growth anywhere in the country so capital growth is a nice to have but for me cash flow is the real buffer that helps protect your investment so if i'm being really kind of had to pick one between capital growth and cash flow it would have to be cash flow every time unfortunately mm, me too that's definitely my answer And then the last one, how do you know if being a landlord is for you, for me? Oh, okay. This is is kind of a hard question to answer. I'm going to look at the clock for one minute. Okay. So how do you know if being a landlord is for you? I think it has to be about more than the money. That's number one. If you're only looking at this as an investment from a purely financial perspective and money's all you're interested in and you can't find a way of linking this to wider values or interests, I think that it's going to be a harder slog to maintain your effort over a long period of time. Um, Maybe you've got an interest in housing, maybe you've got an interest in, you know, your local community or whatever else you might be investing for, but it has to be about more than just the money, even if it's just your reason why you're doing this and what that money means for you. So that's number one. Um, How do you know if being a landlord is for you? You have to be somebody, I think, who isn't necessarily um, thrown off by stress or at least you're willing to learn how to cope with changing circumstances because property throws lots of different things at you and most of all I think with being a landlord is that it's about having somewhere in you an innate sense of care I've not met a landlord through the circle of the community we have at New Era and all the people we train that doesn't have this sense of a duty of care for their tenants and that they want to provide high quality good living ideally at an affordable price and there's a sense of this kind of big brother almost paternal kind of mentality I tend to see amongst you know really good successful landlords are those that not only do they want to make great investments but actually they want to really look after their tenants and I'm really coming up to I'm over my one minute mark on this question but the one thing I would say is that in my experience happy tenants are the profitable ones not the ones that you're charging the most rent it's happy tenants that stay long term so if you have a little bit of that in you that hospitality mindset I think that can be really really helpful yeah, definitely. And and I think that reason why needs to come through in everything you do. We all need a purpose. Um, and whether that purpose is for our own well-being or for our family's well-being, I think it's really important um, that actually if, if property is going to achieve that for you, 
then um, then it's a win-win really. And I think we should um, circle back to well-being at some point in the future, Sam. It, it's a really important topic and how we can all be on purpose by being in the property investing game. Yeah, I think we've uh, we've maybe both got a name of somebody we'd love to get involved to come on as a guest for that as well. Yes. So we'll, uh, yes. I think if we just say watch this space for an announcement, but we'll have to go talk to them because I think that'd be really, really good as well. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to do answers in one minute, I've noticed today. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to, we'll, we'll round that section out there. It's maybe been a bit longer than it meant to. Apologies if I rambled on a bit there. Um, but hopefully that's been helpful for you all and people that are listening that may be newer to property investing. Hopefully these are some of the questions you've got in your mind. And if there's other questions, again, just reach out to us it's lots of fun I think we're going to come back to that format again at a later date maybe do it with some guests we might always do a few quick fire mm. questions it's a bit of fun isn't it um, if you've got any questions like I say just reach out to us on any of the social media platforms or in the comments section we'd love to see that from people now before we round out today's uh, podcast episode we always like to leave you with a resource now this is something that's usually free or very very affordable and we do it on the basis of going actually First, it's to help you, and also it's a little thank you for staying with us and listening along. So what we're going to do is I'm going to pass it over to Lorraine, and she can introduce this episode's resource for you. So in each episode, we do try to share with you a free or very affordable resource to sign this session off, and partly because we love sharing as a thank you for listening along. And this episode's resource is pretty close to home. It's actually something we mentioned in passing earlier, but it is Go Tenant. So Go Tenant was created by my husband, Rick Gannon, as a one-stop shop for all you property and tenant management leads. It's designed by us as private landlords with similar businesses in mind. So we found there was a um, something missing in the market and Rick went out and designed it, a um, very systemized, organized way of working. So what does Go Tenant actually do? Well, it's actually a property management system that covers everything you need in order to manage your properties, such as document renewals, reminders, maintenance reporting, tenant onboarding, tenant recruitment, tenant vetting, making sure that you get tenant references, everything that you need to remind yourself on. But it's actually going to make sure that you've got viewings, you've got your e-signatures for contracts, communications, audible to attract Oh, audible trails, if I can say it, and rent tracking, and even it integrates with Zero as well now, the accounting software package. So everything that you need all in one place to make sure you're getting the best tenants, recruiting the best tenants, getting them on board, being compliant, being legal, and collecting your rent. What more could you need? So if you want to try it out, then please join us for a free one month trial. There's also a little um, onboarding demonstration that's a great way of um, you put a couple of numbers in and it shows you how it sends you text messages backwards and forwards. Um, so you can see how it works sort of in a live environment before you really have to dive into it. And this will give you the chance to take uh, take the platform on board and get a, take it for a spin before deciding if it's for you. So if you go to www.gotenant.co.uk, um, there'll be a little sign up button to get you a 28 day free trial. Fantastic. So the website for that is gotenant.co.uk. I'll pop a link in the description and it'll be there. So if you want to go check that out, that's fantastic. You can try it for a month free and it really is everything you need on the property management side, but it's also everything you need on the tenant management side. And it also lets you manage all your maintenance as well and integrates with the bookkeeping platform. So it's really, really worth checking out. And as Lorraine said, it's a one month free trial. So it's certainly worth experimenting. If you're a brand new landlord, I would wait until you've got your first property 
and you're in legals, it's a great time to try it when you're in legals so you can think about how you're gonna manage it. And if you've already got property, I think it's worth just going through the experience of setting up just one to see how you get on with it. But I really like it, I use it. I know obviously Rick and Lorraine use it and a lot of our mentees use it as well. So it's something we're really proud of and it's something that I certainly couldn't live without in my property business, that's for sure. Um, so yet again, that is a wrap for this episode. Really hope you've enjoyed it. and. As always, can you remember to like, subscribe, share? If you've got a friend that you think might be interested, send it over to them because it's always nice to connect with new people. And we will catch you next time when we dive into more of what not to do in property and hopefully give you guys a few tips on what to do in property as well. So until then, I'm going to nick Rick and Lorraine's line because I love it. Remember to have some fun. <laughs>